Hello everybody and welcome to Surveillance Report 65. It's good to be back where we are dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news. This report recaps some of the most notable events in the last week, including WhatsApp allowing access to messages in real time? Question mark? A GoDaddy data breach, updates to NSO, and honestly, just a, a lot of updates. We took some time off, so uh, you're gonna get a big day today. Um, thanks for your patience as well. If you're not following us on Twitter or Mastodon, we just opened some new accounts there. So go ahead and give us a follow. They should be mirrored together so you can follow either one of them. Um, we'll leave that in the description. Uh, we took last week off for the holidays, so it's good to be back. We're both excited to be here. I'm Henry from TechLore. I'm Nathan from The New Oil. And today, really quick, I just renewed my Abine Delete Me subscription yesterday, which is a service that'll go in. And if you have your information on people searching websites, this is a very convenient way to just automatically get rid of all of them on all the websites. So um, I just felt like it was a good time to remind you we do have an affiliate link for that if you wanted to get Abine Delete Me. Um, I just renewed it yesterday. And if anyone else wants to check it out, we have a link down below. All right, everyone, we're going to start with data breaches as always. And we're going to start with the GoDaddy breach, which also widens to some other places as well. So GoDaddy had a data breach impacting 1.2 million customers, including GoDaddy resellers listed in the headline. This, so the headline says TSO host, Media Temple, 123reg, Domain Factory, Heart Internet, and Host Europe. The data included usernames, plain text passwords, email addresses, custom, customer numbers, default admin passwords, and SSL private keys. Also, what's kind of concerning is this access lasted for over two months. So this wasn't just a single data breach, just had ongoing access, which could have impacted people along the way. The defense here, just be aware with your providers and services. And also keep in mind that a lot of services are reliant on other services. All right. Our next headline says hackers use this software flaw to steal credit card details from thousands of online retailers. Uh, this was a Magecart skimming attack, and it affected 4,151 online retailers. Kind of unfortunately, this is kind of a common thing. It's not really groundbreaking. Magecart uh, attacks have been around for quite a while, and uh, I believe they're mainly facilitated through JavaScript, which is one reason we say JavaScript is so dangerous. So you go to buy something online and this malware will copy your payment information. So uh, the real defense here is payment masking, whether that's buying in-store instead, using privacy.com, using prepaid cards, whatever the case may be. Just especially with the holidays coming up around this time of year, remember to be wary of that. Our next story is going to come from Brazil, where data of millions of Brazilians was exposed in the Wi-Fi management software firm Leak. Uh, this is from the company WSpot, which provides Wi-Fi security software for businesses. And guess what? It was caused by a misconfigured AWS bucket. We're both telling everyone here to take a shot now. Take a um, shot. Take a shot. <laughs> Dude, I've literally got people tagging me on Twitter. Uh, one person tagged me on Twitter this week, and they wrote, uh, pour your shot now. <laughs> like, basically, Absolutely. like, this is going to be a data breach down the road. Pour your shot now. <laughs> It was awesome. <laughs> That's really great. It's funny. I, I just learned recently that I actually have a shot glass that I want from a running room. <laughs> and I, I don't drink this, so I just use it for, for uh, O-Nog, which is like oatmeal nog. Nice. <laughs> yeah, to, to just finish out that story, uh, two and a half million people were exposed, including their full name, email addresses, full addresses, taxpayer registration numbers, and login credentials. Again, kind of ties back to that first story, which is you don't know what kind of software you're reliant on. Um, and there's typically a lot of layers and just doing something as basic as connecting to Wi-Fi. There's companies involved in every step of the way, and if any one of them goes wrong, then you have yourself a data breach. Up next, I decided, uh, well, Nathan asked me to take it. Um, <laughs> some context, I normally kind of give Nathan the controversial stories here and there. 
<laughs> um, and so this week I was like, you know what? Nathan was like, you know what? You should take it. And I'm like, okay, fine. So um, this story is immensely biased and we're only going to talk about the data breach aspect of it, which is the whole section. This isn't the politics section. This is the data breach section. So TLDR. So Kyle Rittenhouse was a 17-year-old in Wisconsin who shot two people during the George Floyd protests and it was ruled in self-defense. Make up your own minds. We don't care what you think. We really don't. Um, however, where the story actually comes in is Black Rifle Coffee Company decided to speak out against Rittenhouse. So this writer decided to do some pen testing of the company in return. The author found that their network is hideously insecure, allowing pretty much unfettered access into customer accounts to change profile data, place orders, see partial payment data, and more. Um, I think there's a lot of takeaways here. One, while this site was insecure, that's kind of like the direct story. I think a takeaway here is, I'm gonna choose my words carefully here. Nothing is perfectly secure. And funny enough, one of the best ways, if you have a high enough threat model and you're willing to sacrifice maybe some of your freedom of speech, one of the best ways to actually protect yourself is to not make a big splash in any pool. I don't know if that's a takeaway. I might just cut I mean, all I, that I, out. I, I think um, if you do decide to keep it, I think you make a really good point that, like you said, like, it, it is because you almost don't want to say don't speak up, but, like, yeah, you, yeah. Can, you can put yourself on the map, even if you didn't mean to. Like, they, they were definitely commenting on something that is already very controversial and heated and people have very strong opinions on, so that didn't help. But I mean, even on things that you think wouldn't be controversial, like whether or not pineapple goes on pizza, you know, you never know when you're blasting thoughts out into the World Wide Web for the whole world to see. You never know when somebody's going to take it personally and decide to retaliate like that. Yeah, and, and pen test your company in return. Which, um, I mean, granted, shame on the company for having crap security, but, you know, like you, like you said, they kind of put a target on their back and they, they should have expected better. Yeah, and I think maybe a, a, an easier thing to tie this to is if you truly have an immense threat model and you're listening to this podcast, like you're someone who, for like very good reasons, has to avoid government surveillance, the best thing you can do is not put a target on your back. That's that's just the reality, because if a government's trying to chase after you, it's going to be extremely hard to avoid that. The best thing you can do is, well, blend in, which is yeah. not do shady things. Um also shame it's, it's, on this company because buying coffee should not mean you get caught up in a data breach. You should people just should stop drinking coffee. Excuse I, me, sir. IMO. <laughs> Go. I am offended. Alright, you've been listening to the last ever dual edition of Surveillance Report. <laughs> True. I love coffee. Um I I think we're gonna I, we just ruffled probably like everyone's feathers covering that story right there. Uh, coffee still... drinkers. <laughs> just everyone okay moving on our next story is going to come from panasonic who has disclosed a data breach after a network hack that's honestly pretty much all we know unfortunately um i feel like this is like their third data breach this year or something they've been in the headlines a lot but um yeah they haven't really given us a lot of details if we hear anything of course we will keep you updated but since this is a data breach section just be aware these things are super common and they keep happening so 
Yeah, it's kind of the point of the data breach section. It's just like, look how much this happens. Yeah, honestly, that is my whole point with it is to drive home, look how often this happens. You need to take this stuff seriously. Speaking of, the next one, a DNA testing firm discloses a data breach affecting over 2 million people. This was the DNA Diagnostic Center or the DDC, which is an Ohio-based DNA testing company. They disclosed a hacking incident that affects over 2 million people, which includes full names, credit card numbers, financial account numbers, and platform account passwords. Um, luckily, it doesn't seem like actual DNA was leaked, but I say this every time I see a DNA leak. Guys, it's only a matter of time before your DNA is public information. Just please think like five times before deciding to ship your DNA to some random company online. Just please think it through. Like you can't change your DNA like you can change your password. All right, next story, uh, Planned Parenthood in LA disclosed a data breach after a ransomware attack. This affected 400,000 patients, and that's pretty much all we know so far. All right, and our last data breach this week, Anthem Blue Cross was affected. Um, I was only able to find the actual like letter they sent out to people, so it didn't really give a lot of details as far as how many people were affected. But they did say that the data included names, dates of birth, addresses, email address, phone number, healthcare ID number, and quote, other information available on the web portal. So it looks like this was a, an attack on their web portal. They are offering the usual stuff, identity theft insurance and credit monitoring, free year and all that kind of stuff. But for those who don't know, Blue Cross is a huge, huge health insurance company here in the US. And as I always say, this really sucks because don't ever lie to your doctor, like give them a real name, give them a date of birth. Um, I guess for address and email address and all that stuff, you should be using forwarding addresses and PO boxes. But yeah, just it sucks when this stuff happens. Just don't lie to your doctor, even though data breaches suck. And with that, we will move on to companies. And we're going to start with kind of a big one. Apple is suing the NSO group. The NSO group, in case you have forgotten or this is your first time here, they were in the headlines over the summer because their Pegasus malware got a lot of mainstream attention and everybody was talking about it. Personal opinion, I think this is just a PR move. I mean, NSO is not new. Pegasus is not new. Apple has had many opportunities to step up and say this is not acceptable, but suddenly they're doing it after Pegasus and NSO got mainstream attention. So I'm sure it's just coincidence that this is the moment they decided to crack down on their promises of security and whatnot. But at any rate, Apple is suing NSO. NSO is really in hot water right now. Uh, I don't know if we covered that last week or last episode or not, but yeah, NSO is actually really not doing well. Like I've heard some people speculate that they're going to be out of business by the end of the year. They're, that media coverage was not good for them and good riddance. I don't care. But uh, yeah, so... Apple suing them is probably not going to do them any favors. And uh, Apple is also taking steps to notify any a Apple users that they know have been targeted. They do this either by email or iMessage to your iCloud account. Or if you log into your iCloud account via desktop, there will be a little pop-up at the top. So if uh, I know when Pegasus first went viral, a lot of people were like, do I have it? Do I have it? First of all, the answer is probably not. But if you're not sure, check your iMessage, log in, check your iCloud, don't store things there. We'll keep you updated as this unfolds. Our next story, really quick. Uh, Android 12 is here, and we recommend you use it. It's the latest, most secure system, and it comes with a lot of new privacy settings, which in the sources, you can go ahead and read a little bit more into those. And Nathan here says he's going to update his website later this week with um, the latest recommended settings to enable for Android, so keep an eye out for that. 
Our next story comes from TikTok, who has reached a $92 million settlement in a class action lawsuit. Um, this article talks about how to submit a claim, and we'll talk about that in a second. TikTok was sued for collecting and using personal data without sufficient notice and consent. The company, of course, denied this, but ultimately settled. All U.S. residents who used the app before September 30th of this year, 2021, are eligible to submit a claim. And you have, I believe it said until like May 18th or something. So should you submit a claim? In my opinion, probably not. Uh, I don't think you're really going to get any meaningful amount of money, uh, partially because that $92 million includes money to pay the legal fees and the lawyers. So in reality, you're getting whatever's left over, which is probably not going to be much in a very high-profile case like this. Um, just stop using TikTok altogether. And additionally, the claim form requires name, address, and username. So uh, in some ways, just submitting a claim is already more invasive than just using the app. In some ways, not in every way, of course. So, But I mean, if you want to submit a claim... Feel free. The article says how to. But yeah, just know that TikTok unofficially admitted that they were collecting and using personal data without sufficient notice and consent. Our next couple of stories are going to come from Qualcomm. So first, uh, Qualcomm had a big event this past week or maybe the week before where they uh, announced some new features. And there are two that we wanted to highlight. One is an always-on smartphone camera, which is just as horrifying as it sounds. So basically, they're trying to do the visual version of a wake word, like uh, Hey Siri or OK Google or Alexa, play Despacito. So it basically just, it's always on, it's always looking, it's looking for your face. It's also supposed to shut off if someone is snooping over your shoulder, and if you're looking at a screen with someone, it's supposed to hide the notifications. And my question is, how does it differentiate between those two things? How does it know if somebody's snooping without my consent or if I'm sharing a picture with them. Anyways, either way, yeah, not not cool, Qualcomm. That's unnecessary. The next one is kind of cool, though. Qualcomm is introducing technology to detect Stingray devices. They are looking for suspicious cell towers, like um, basically cell towers that your phone has never seen before. I guess there's some kind of like history that your phone is capable of accessing. Um, cell towers that have never had a lot of other devices connecting to them. Uh, cell phones or cell towers with suspiciously long, uh, strong signal strength. And then they will either block them entirely, deprioritize them, or if you do have to connect to those towers, they will allow individual apps to block that network, like banking apps, for example. So if you're on one of these net, uh, devices that it considers suspicious, certain apps won't work for your protection. Um, so yeah, I, I would read the article to get more information on that, but I think ultimately that's a really cool idea. All right, we're going to go ahead and migrate into the research of the week. And we're going to start with the headline of attackers don't bother brute forcing long passwords, Microsoft engineer says. So Microsoft has run Honeypot servers so they can see how attackers work and behave for a while now. And according to their research, they examined over 25 million brute force attacks. 77% um, of attempts used a password up to seven characters. Only 6% used passwords longer than 10 characters. 39% had at least one number and none used white space. I believe white space would just be like a space in your password. Is that correct, Nathan? Uh, that's the impression I got. They didn't really specify, but... Cool. I think that's what that is, too. I, I think um, so. Pretty much the takeaway here is that it, this suggests that longer passwords work um, against most brute force attacks as long as they haven't already been leaked online and they're not part of an attacker's brute forcing dictionaries. It's almost like the advice that both of us have been giving for, for years works. It's almost like using long, complex, and unique passwords is the solution for almost everyone out there. Make sure you use a password manager, right? Bitwarden, KeyPass, two easy recommendations. 
uh, both of us have content on password managers you can take a look at. All right, our next piece of research is the biometric stuff I hinted at earlier. The headline says, your fingerprint can be hacked for $5. Here's how. So this comes from, I believe, Kraken Security Labs. And um, it's a really interesting article. I recommend you check it out. It's pretty short. It's got lots of pictures to keep it interesting. And they basically walk through how they can take a fingerprint, not even from your finger. It can just be like a, I think they took it off a laptop screen in, in this one. And um, they can run it through Photoshop and basically use some glue and just yeah it's it's really interesting and um it shows uh, so i have frequently said in the past that biometric security is better than using bad passwords and one thing people have called me out for not mentioning before is good passwords are still better than biometric security and this is one of the reasons why because it's really cheap and easy now granted this does require some degree of physical access like um for the most part, please don't try this, you're going to have a hard time stealing my fingerprint from this video. But if you get it from my car door or my desk or something like that, my mouse, it becomes a lot easier. And that's pretty much really the only obstacle. If they can get that physical access to you, they can copy your fingerprint for cheap. Yeah, for cheap. Like, they showed how to do that in the article. I mean, again, this this is something that requires physical access, and they have to be targeting you. It's not like this is something they're going to pick up in a data breach, but it's still super, super easy. So, yeah, um, biometric security is better than bad passwords, but as we just discussed a minute ago, good passwords are even better. Always use good passwords when that's an option. Yeah, and, and just to add on there, um, there was a research paper that was put out years ago. This was like three plus years ago. I don't even remember who put it together, but um, it pretty much said that just from putting a thumbs up, to a, a, a camera, like like you're taking a selfie with your thumb up, that thumb was enough to bypass biometrics. Um, wow. So it's kind of advice that I loosely give to the people that I do consulting with who are like trying to be public personas, is like if you're putting any kind of yourself out there, I would just personally caution you away from using biometrics um, wow. just because... You, you're putting yourself out there. If there's any shot that's really clean of your fingers, like I know we have tons, you can probably get it from mine if you wanted to and from some of our videos. Um, that's something I try to avoid that for that reason when I can. I was going to say, I know we covered that a, a while back too. There was a story of um, a guy who was, I believe, selling weed, I think, on the dark web. And uh, it was just a picture of him holding the product and the definition was good enough that police were able to lift the fingerprint and run it through the database and figure out who the guy was. So, I mean, I don't see any reason that you can't run that through a 3D printer and make the same mold. So, yeah, yeah. maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it doesn't require a lot of physical access. So, yeah. Well, I mean, it depends. I don't think – I've never seen, an, like, an attack that actually bypasses something like Touch ID remotely. So I think you would still need physical access to the device. Um, but that's for now. Who knows? Maybe that might Yeah, change. I was going to say, next week, we'll bring you that <laughs> story, <week>. I'm sure. <laughs> okay, our next research story is about voice recordings, personal information inferences from voice, voice recordings, user awareness and privacy concerns. I'm going to go ahead and quote the article because they had a few sentences that really summed it up well. Through voice characteristics and manner of expression, even seemingly benign voice recordings can reveal sensitive attributes about a speaker, such as geographical origin, health status, personality, um, I think one article I was reading about this even said, like, sexual orientation. The article goes on to say, There is generally low awareness across all participant demographics, even
even among participants with professional experience in computer science, data mining, and IT security. Only 18.7% of participants are at least somewhat aware that physical and mental health information can be inferred from, inferred from voice recordings. Many participants have rarely or never even thought about the possibility of personal information being inferred. But the last thing that I, I wanted to point out from this article, they said, based on an analysis of open text responses, unconcerned reactions seem to be largely explained by knowledge gaps about possible data misuses. I don't know. I, I guess I thought that was interesting that it seems like a lot of the time people who don't care don't care because they don't understand the risks. So, yeah, um, I guess that just goes for everything. So our next story, researchers have set up 320 honeypots to see how quickly threat actors would be able to break into these cloud services. Um, the report shows that 80% of them were compromised in under 24 hours, which is very impressive. So very quick takeaway. Remember that everything on the web is a dangerous place and anything internet connected is at risk. Um, so we just say every time you upload something, just think twice about what you're uploading and if it's necessary. Obviously, there's tons of other things you can do. Use strong passwords, use 2FA, use proper end-to-end encryption. Those things are all fantastic and those will definitely make you more secure. But just the best security is something that you don't upload in the first place. Um, that's kind of a, a good way to look at things. And our last research story, researchers discover 14 new data stealing web browser attacks. These are side channel attacks known as cross-site leaks, and they work on all modern browsers, Chrome, Firefox, even Safari, uh, Vivaldi, I think was one of the ones they pointed out. Um, this was one of those papers that really went over my head. Like it pretty much as soon as the article began, it just went straight into the technical details. So if you're interested and you understand that stuff, feel free to read up on it. But again, just, you know, the theme of the episode this week is trust your, anything you put in a digital format, you're trusting either a provider or, you know, security and yeah. So just, uh, be careful. Also, I assume go update your browsers in the coming weeks. Cause I'm sure there's going to be a fix for that. If there isn't already one. Yeah, probably. 14 new attacks. I'm I'm sure that's not something they're going to take lying down. So, yeah. And with that, we will move into politics. All right, because we took 2 weeks off, this is another one of those like we got a lot to go through. I apologize. <laughs> we'll start Yeah. But we will start with kind of a bigger one. The FBI says that feds can get your WhatsApp data in real time. So there were a lot of articles about this. Um this was an internal FBI document that revealed not just uh, WhatsApp, but I, I believe it was the nine top encrypted messengers and how this is an actual internal document from the FBI that talks about how to go about getting data from them, what data you can get with different types of legal requests, what the timelines are and stuff like that. Uh, iMessage and WhatsApp are unsurprisingly the easiest to get data from. WhatsApp is the worst. They can basically give the police real-time information. They can give data back within 15 minutes of a request. To their defense, that is only data going forward. They can't go back and pull old data. They will also turn over contacts and contacts of your contacts, as well as, quote, basic subscriber information. iMessage data is significantly more limited, but if you use the iCloud backups, that's where it really gets dangerous. And at that point they can even access message content because iMessage is end-to-end -end encrypted, but iCloud is not. Uh, Apple has the decryption keys for iCloud. So if you back up your iMessage data in the cloud, you've basically lost your end-to-end -end encryption. Uh, the last two that this article specifically mentioned were Signal and Wicker. Signal, as we've discussed multiple times on the show, they will only provide the date and time that you signed up and when you last connected. Wicker, at this time, will provide device information and account information, but will not provide any other metadata. 
although they are now owned by Amazon, so I assume that is not going to be the case for much longer. But yeah, this was a real big story and just a great reminder that WhatsApp is still trash, and there are many, many, many better options out there. Please stop using WhatsApp. Our next story, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read you, I'm going to quote the article, and that's really the understanding that we have. The White House will unveil a group of countries next week that have pledged to work together to curb exports of technology that can be used by bad actors and repressive governments to violate human rights. We don't really know what that means. So maybe we'll see next week. That's the story. All right, our next story is uh, sad news that you may have seen making the rounds in other communities. It says debt collectors can now text, email, and DM you on social media. I mean, the title really much really says it all. What I was personally interested in were the protections for consumers, and uh, here they are, according to the article. Under the new rules, debt collectors who contact you on social media have to identify themselves as debt collectors, can attempt to join your network by sending you a friend request. Collectors must give you the option to out, opt out of being contacted online, and any messages they send have to be private. Collectors cannot post on your page if it can be seen by your contacts or the public. So they can't post on your wall. They have to DM you. Uh, collection agencies can also email and text message, but still must offer the ability to opt out. So not terrible. I mean, it's still terrible for sure, but at least there's some protections in place. Um, Henry rightfully pointed out, what does this mean for scams? Because now we're just going to have all kinds of random people and saying like, oh, hey, I'm from JP Morgan Chase and you owe $150. And, you know, like, how are you supposed to verify that now? And it's just, man, this is probably going to prolifer proliferate scams a lot. But I mean, for that reason alone, the privacy as well as the scam reason, like we should definitely be sharing this story around so that people know because they need to be on the alert for scams now because this is just going to open the door. All right, our next article comes from the UK, and this is good news. It says huge fines and a ban on default passwords in new UK law. So under this new law in the UK, easy to guess default passwords preloaded on devices are banned. All products now need unique passwords that cannot be reset to factory default. I can already hear all the old people that are upset that they can't, not, can't remember their password. Um, customers must be told when they buy a device the minimum time it will receive vital security updates and patches. If a product doesn't get either, that must also be disclosed. That's awesome. And security researchers will be given a public point of contact to point out flaws and bugs. Unfortunately, there is nothing requiring these places to act on those, but it's something. Uh, violations can be fined up to £10 million or 4% of their global revenue. Um, not sure whether that's which one's bigger, which one's smaller. And they can be fined up to $20,000 a day, well, £20,000 a day for ongoing issues. So, yeah, this is great news, huge win for security, and hopefully will continue to spread. Our next story comes from Australia, who is introducing new laws to force media platforms to unmask online trolls. Um, the headline's a little bit misleading, if I understood this article correctly. I don't think this is requiring platforms to actually, like, ID people, per se, but only to identify users who abuse the platform. So, uh, for example, if, if somebody reports a post as being abusive, it is now on the platform to figure out who posted that and stop them from abusing it. It's not saying, like oh, John has to upload his driver's license in order to access Twitter now. It's saying, Twitter, you need to take action, whether that means banning this person or deleting the content, um, deleting their other accounts. I don't agree with it. I'm just saying I, I, think, um, I think this is one of those headlines that kind of seems a little bit worse than it is. But 
by the same token, and obviously we're not encouraging you to go be crappy on social media, but if you use the usual privacy tools like a hardened browser and VPNs and stuff like that, I, I don't think you really have too much to worry about, at least in my interpretation. All right, and now we're going to move over to Germany. I have three Germany stories for you, and Germany really went off this week. They, they truly did. So first, Germany was like, hey, we don't like Microsoft Office anymore. So we're going to switch 25,000 PCs to LibreOffice. So it's just a fun little win. The North German state, uh, oh man, help me out, Nathan. No, you got this. I believe in you. Okay. (laughs) Schleswig, I think the W is a V. Am I wrong? Is it W? Schleswig Holstein? I don't know. I'm going to go with that. I thought it was Schleswig, Um, but you might be right. Schleswig-Holstein will affect um, admin in schools. The deadline is end of 2026. They're all going to move over to LibreOffice. Um, 25,000 PCs, really awesome. Second story, uh, the new government plans a right to encryption in Germany. So the coalition contract of the new German government satisfies a lot of expectations by digital rights activists, which includes a right to encryption, a right to anonymity, increased IT security, public money for public code. These are just some of the digital promises contained in the contract that give reason to celebrate to all privacy enthusiasts. Um, so now it's just a matter of implementing everything, and we'll see how that goes. Um, all of those things sound fantastic. One thing that really catches my eye is the public money for public code. I think the implication there is um, the government might help fund some open source software, is the way I interpreted that, which would be very cool because um, a big issue is uh, funding for open source projects. And our final Germany story. A coalition backs a ban on facial recognition in public places. So similar to the last story, the new government has opposed um, facial recognition in public places. Uh, This may or may not sway other EU countries, but it's just something cool. So, yay. Good job, Germany. We've got another small privacy win coming from Italy, who has fined Apple and Google over consumer data usage. Both companies were fined 10 million euro over their aggressive, quote, aggressive practices regarding the acquisition and use of customer data. The AGCM says it found two violations of the consumer code, one for lack of information and another for aggressive practices related to the acquisition and use of customer data for commercial purposes. The resulting 10 million fines are the maximum allowed to issue. Uh, TechCrunch is reporting that Apple and Google plan to appeal the fines and have denied any wrongdoing. Of course they have. But yeah, I mean, $10 million for Apple and Google, probably not a lot of money. But the fact that it's the maximum fine and they're cracking down on it, I think that's a little bit of a win. Our next story comes from Spain, where the former CNI chief, Saez, has uh, commented. He says, we listen to conversations from all over the world, but the system is secure. (laughs) As Henry said before we started recording, famous last words. Um, he's, he's basically talking about Spain's surveillance system. And uh, the reason we wanted to share this story was just a reminder that we live in America, so we tend to focus on a lot of stories from America. But we recognize, and hopefully you guys do too as well, that privacy and surveillance are global issues. The NSA is not the only agency in, uh, doing this. The U.S. is not the only country doing this. And, you know, no matter where you live, your your privacy and security matter. And you've got to make sure you're aware of government laws and what your government's up to and push them for better protections. Up next in Brazil, a Brazilian airports have expanded their facial recognition trials. So this was in the domestic airports of Sao Paulo and um, Rio de Janeiro. And currently only for flight attendants and pilots of the airlines Azul, Gol, and Latam. Sorry if I mispronounced anything. Um, this is all part of their ongoing quote, safer boarding program. 
The facial recognition company is government owned, but had input from numerous other parties like other airlines and IT companies. Documents can always be used as a manual backup if the system fails for any reason, but this is really it. It's in trials right now. We don't really know too much of what is going to happen, but I'm sure the, the final goal is for everyone to be using this system. Our next couple of stories come from Israel. The first one says Israel and Iran broaden cyber war to attack civilian targets. The article opens up by saying millions of ordinary people in Iran and Israel recently found themselves caught in the crossfire of a cyber war between their countries. They go on to share some examples, uh, one of which was the recent uh, gasoline uh, where the, all the gas pumps shut down in Iran, which we talked about a couple weeks ago, I think. And uh, the article says, For years, Israel and Iran have engaged in a covert war by land, sea, air, and computer, but the targets have usually been military or government-related. Now the cyber war has widened to target civilians on a larger scale. Uh, the reason I thought this story was worth sharing is because it shows how cyber wars can affect everybody. I mean, here here in America, as an example, when ransomware took down the the meatpacking ransomware, like, you know, I don't work at a meat, meat, pan, meat plant, but... These these things still have a trickle down, and especially now, if these guys are going to openly attack civilian targets, like, just the point is that digital stuff is very much intertwined, and it may seem like it's something that doesn't concern you, but it probably does. Our next story comes specifically from Israel, and it says, Israel halts disputed Omicron, Omicron tracing through phone surveillance. Uh, I'm just going to quote the article. Israel said on Thursday it was halting the use of mobile phone tracing to curb the spread of the new coronavirus variant Omicron, a practice that has been challenged by privacy watchdogs. So um, Israel has halted phone contact tracing, and hopefully it'll stay that way just for privacy reasons. But if we hear any updates on that, we will let you know. And our final political story of the week. Um, a Russian internet watchdog has announced a ban on six more VPN products. So this brings the total to 15, and it includes Nord, Proton, and IPVanish. The reason of the ban is because these companies have refused to man in the middle of their products to allow Russian government to surveil Russian users. One interesting thing, this this isn't like, it, it's kind of an, a, a toxic approach to it, but if there's any major VPN provider out there that everyone knows about and uses and is sponsored that's not on the ban list, it's kind of a red flag in my opinion um but that's kind of a toxic way of looking at it because it's kind of um <laughs> it's like you know guilty before trial kind of vibes but still um just always remember that you have to trust your vpn company when you're trusting your vpn company it's just a transfer of trust from your isp with that said we still both believe that a vpn can offer privacy protections that other things just can't do tor can do at the consequence of like your your sanity <laughs> Yeah, good luck trying to access your bank account on tour. No, just do it, bro. <laughs> I've tried. It doesn't work. Just do it. Are you a true privacy advocate or not? All right, well, now I'm going to talk about FOSS news so that people think that we're on their side. Um, so free and open source FOSS news. Uh, first one, Trump's social media site, which, by the way, I was like, I totally forgot about that, right? He made a social media site and... We reported so many surveillance reports ago, probably within the last two months, um, that it turns out he was just using Mastodon code. Mastodon is a federated open source alternative to Twitter. So it turns out they pretty much just copied and pasted the code, switched some things around, and they really tried to hide the fact that it was Mastodon. Like they switched out the code to make it look like it wasn't from Mastodon. Here's an update to that. Trump's true social site now features a dedicated section labeled open source, which contains a zipped archive of Mastodon's source code. They said, quote, our goal is to support the open source community no matter what your political beliefs are. 
That's why the first place we go to find amazing software is the community and not big tech, the site adds. Um, and then Nathan, I was, I was thinking about saying this right when I finished, but Nathan put, said it as well. Why didn't you just do that in the first place? <laughs> Which is kind of like, yeah, like you could have not tried to hide the fact you were based on Mastodon in the first place, but this is the next best thing. And it's to try to make things right after the whole world gets pissed. Next story, Mozilla has decided to end support for its Firefox password manager sync application. This is the app Lockwise. So if you're on Lockwise, you should be able to do an export and move over to something like Bitwarden or KeePass. Um, just be aware if you're using Lockwise, which most of you probably aren't, uh, like most people, uh, then you have to move off of it soon. Um, in other Firefox news, multi-account containers is now needing a permission to, quote, exchange messages with programs other than Firefox. It appears that this mainly applies to Mozilla VPN, and it allows the container to generate proxies on a per-profile basis. You don't need either of these products. Uh, we actually recommend using Molvad because Mozilla VPN is just Molvad, just via Mozilla's branding. It's the same exact product. Um, and then use first-party isolate mode, which can be enabled in the settings in settings, privacy and security, and cookies. You can block all third-party cookies or cross-site tracking cookies. So that's kind of a recommendation there in dealing with this problem. Or you can just accept the permission. I don't think it's a huge deal. Um, Firefox is open source. Or you can just move to Brave. Or you can move to Brave or any <laughs> other browser. <clears throat> Up next, uh, quote, become a signal sustainer. So Signal now gives you a badge if you're a recurring paying user for the platform. Uh, it's just a neat bragging right. On iOS, it requires Apple Pay, and the choices are $5, $10, or $20 a month, and it gives you a cute little badge. They should put their money where their mouth is and accept mobile coin donations. My oh my opinion. god, dude, the mobile coin beta is on my phone now. <laughs> I don't have it yet. Like, when but, I was looking for this thing, I saw payments beta, and I was like, oh, is that it? And I click on it, and it gave me some page about, like, mobile coin is this new blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, oh, gross. No. Leave me alone. That's not what I wanted. Yeah, but, like, seriously, if they really backed this product like they said they did <laughs> when they released it, they should allow you to get this badge by paying in mobile coin, in my honest opinion. Like, I mean, that's why fair. would they do anything else than that? Maybe um, give you a different badge if you pay in mobile coin? Sure, if they really want to back their product, <laughs> they're like, wow, our best prod our best badge goes to the people who donate five dollars to us via mobile coin. Because we believe in mobile coin that much. That's what they should be doing, in my opinion. Okay, in our last FOSS story, the headline says a mysterious threat actor is running hundreds of malicious Tor relays. Um, I feel like this is a story that we've covered before, but the article has a recent uh, headline or recent published date, so maybe this is an update. So let's start off with what is definitely happening. Um, there is a sophisticated resourced attacker who is running a considerable percentage of Tor nodes. Some of them are exit nodes, some of them are middle nodes, some of them are guard nodes. Tor Project um, is aware of this, and they do Tor Project remove is these aware relays of this, when they and they do them. remove these but relays this is, when they it, find It's them. kind of a game of whack-a-mole. Like, Tor Project will get rid of some, and then more will pop up, and that's kind of the risk you take when you have a decentralized open-source project like this, especially one that you're that you need other people to you know, run these nodes, because if Tor Project ran all of this stuff themselves, then it wouldn't be decentralized. But, you know, this is kind of the risk you take, is that there are going to be malicious people doing bad things with it. At the time, we're not really sure who this attacker is or what their goal is. The speculation is that they are trying to de-anonymize users, because they're running so many nodes, they're trying to, they think they might be trying to correlate traffic and track users. I'm honestly not sure what level of panic is justified here. I'm not sure if this is, uh, you know, 
don't use Tor. I don't. I doubt it's that bad, but because you know Tor Project is acting on this and they're trying to do something. But um, yeah, I guess the the real takeaway here is just to remember that nothing is unhackable, and you know, if depending on your threat model, always be cautious, always be aware, and know what the risks are with everything you do. And with that, we will move into our final section, Misfits. I think we've got some fun stories for you guys here. Uh, our first one says, Retro collectors are uncovering hordes of old data. The title kind of says it all. Uh, during lockdown, retro device collecting saw a little bit of a renaissance. You know, people were looking for new hobbies to stay busy, and some people decided to collect old computers and old consoles. But unfortunately, many of the devices that are being collected were not wiped at all let alone properly, you know, uh, properly would require you to actually go in and like overwrite the data, wiped it all would just be select the file, hit delete and empty the recycling bin. Some people didn't even do that. So, uh, fortunately, you know, most of the people who are buying this stuff are not malicious, but a lot of them are, you know, they're firing up these old, old devices and they're like, Oh, what's this file? Let me see here. And they open it and it's like, Oh cool. This is somebody's like sensitive financial records. So yeah, just the moral here is remember, whenever you get rid of a device, do a basic wipe, whether that's a, a factory reset, a reformat. Um, ideally, if you can get a software like Bitwarden or CCleaner and like totally overwrite several times, that would be ideal. But just, man, just remember to do something. Don't just like shut it and turn it off and give it away as is. Our next story is another story about Apple AirTags. The headline says, Apple tracking devices being used in thefts of high-end cars in York region. That's... Another one of where the title says it all. Uh, criminals are using air tags. They're sticking them on cars in places where people can't really see them. Uh, we mentioned a story about this, I think, last time, where the lady, um, she went shopping and somebody had stuck an air tag in her car and her phone alerted her and she finally found it like under the trunk or something. So, yeah, people are sticking air tags on really nice high end cars. And then when the person drives home, they it's sitting there in the driveway and they know where the car is and they go steal it. So, um, yeah. Just bad news. Be aware. Be careful. We just wanted to share an article that the holidays are coming up. Happy holiday season. And you should think about the privacy risks of the smart toys and vet them accordingly. So here's just an article. Um, if you're looking at the video, you're going to see the article. And if you're listening to the podcast, check out the second to last source in the, the, the um, sources. And it's just an article talking about how to assess gifts privacy risks. That's it. And our last story, just something fun to leave you guys with. The headline says, Lord of the Rings-themed cryptocurrency gets thrown into Mount Doom. It's just a really funny story. Um, they, Some guys made a cryptocurrency based on Lord of the Rings. Oh, no, no, no. There it does. Um, so it was called J.R.R. Token, which for those who don't know, for those who don't know, the author of Lord of the Rings was J.R.R. Tolkien. Um, and, uh, it, it, the website called it the one token that rules them all. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really not a big fan of most cryptocurrencies cause I think most of them serve no purpose other than to make somebody rich, but, but not this one, <laughs> no, definitely not that. Well, not this one because it got shut down. Um, yeah. J.R.R. Tolkien's estate, uh, cited copyright infringement, which it clearly was. Apparently if you went to the website, there were like rings and hobbit holes and uh, Gandalf was there. And so they successfully sued for copyright infringement and got it shut down. But um, yeah, it's just a fun little story. And <laughs> all right, everyone, that was all of the news for the week. Quite a few interesting things. I was mostly eyeing the WhatsApp stuff, but also pretty much news all around because we took a week off. So you're going to find a lot of good stuff this week all around. 
Again, this was brought to you by A Buy and Delete. It wasn't actually brought, like we choose these affiliate links. So like we're, we're featuring the A Buy and Delete Me service. There's an affiliate link down below. If you've ever done a people searching website and you, you typed in your name or your address and you find it, it comes back with all of your information, this is the service that'll automatically go through all those websites and take care of that for you. It'll also just keep an eye on it every month to make sure nothing else comes up. So if you like that idea and you wanna get it, we do have a support link down below. And finally, as always, we want to thank you for listening to the surveillance support. We're happy to know you're trying to stay safe out there. And the final thing we ask everyone to do is to share the podcast around. Make sure you're subscribed and definitely give us a rating if you're listening from a platform where that's an option. Looking at you, Apple Music uh, or Apple Podcast listeners, whatever they call it. Um, we want privacy to reach as many people as possible, and you can directly help us do that by doing those following things. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see everyone next week.